This morning I'm going to ask you to turn to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21, we're taking our reading from this portion. Our text we'll find elsewhere. Numbers 21. And we're going to read verses 4 through 9. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. This is a portion that speaks of an event that took place as the children of Israel were yet in the desert. And the scripture says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now our text we're going to take from John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This morning, I want us to think on the question, why a brazen serpent? Before we go further, let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer and ask him to meet with us. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you'll bless the word of God, that you'll use it in our hearts. Lord, leave us not to ourselves, we pray, but allow the spirit of God to be the preacher in this time. Lord, encourage us, teach us, but yet take us in hand, open our hearts, fan faith, correct faithlessness, 
Lord, purge away those things that we find that are there that foster unbelief and keep us from walking closely to our God. Lord, we ask for the help of our God now in this hour. We ask that you will send the Spirit to do his work. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In John chapter 3, we read of that night in which the Lord Jesus was visited by a man that wanted to know how he may be saved. That man was Nicodemus. Of course, you know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but a man also that had a desire for truth rather than mere tradition. In the conversation, the Lord Jesus tells Nicodemus that he had to be born again in order to be saved. That was a thought that was far too different for Nicodemus to understand. How can a man be born over again? Well, of course, we know that the Lord Jesus was not talking about physical birth before a man to be made alive again spiritually. Every man is dead in his spirit because of sin. Any man who will be saved needs to be made alive again. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven as he was. He cannot come in the deadness of his trespasses. He needs to be made alive in his heart. Well, Nicodemus still did not understand what the Lord was trying to say, so the Lord offers to him an illustration of what happened in the desert when the Israelites were attacked by the deadly serpents. At God's command, Moses made a brazen serpent and put it on a pole that those who looked on it would be healed. That is nothing short of a miraculous work of God. Let us not be confused. Calvary also is nothing short of a miraculous work of God. It was something that no one would ever have thought would work to look at a brazen serpent, but it did. The point was that salvation is by looking in faith to Jesus. It comes in no other way. It comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. Though men can't understand that, men don't accept that, men cannot perceive of that. But it's the truth. But the Lord uses the incident of the serpent in the wilderness to teach of himself. And this brings up a very logical question, one that struck my mind as I was thinking over this, and that is this, why a serpent? Why would God have instructed Moses to lift up on that pole the brazen serpent? Why would he tell him to do that as opposed to why not make something that was a lamb, a brazen lamb maybe? Or why not just a cross? Why the brazen serpent? Well, there is a very important message to the man who was to look at that serpent. It spoke of what was the cause for the lifting up. It spoke of the curse 
that required the lifting up. It spoke of the cure that comes by a substitute being lifted up. There was much to be learned by seeing what Moses put on that pole in that day. So my proposition to you this morning, what I want us to think on is simply this, that the serpent spoke of the death of that which was against the sinner bitten by sin. But only by what was lifted up. So I've got a handful of notes or points to make here. I want us to see that there were some things put to death. The first of which is we see the enemy was put to death. The enemy was put to death. Now it would be very easy for us to look at the serpent that draped on that pole and think that that was a representation of the old serpent spoken of in scripture. That must be the reason because it speaks of the old serpent. Now we must be very careful here. Though Satan is spoken of as a serpent, and he is the perpetrator of the curse, he's the one who brings what we all now suffer with, he is not the one that was lifted up. He was not that one that was represented by what Moses did. He is not in view here, really. The type, we must understand, is of the Lord Jesus himself and him alone. But, having said that, I want to stress that there may be something of the death of the old enemy in view. A.W. Pink makes the statement that brass speaks of God's judgment. And the reason he makes that is that when you consider that God instructed Israel to construct the brazen altar, the altar of brass where the sacrifices for sin were uh, offered, that that offers then a background for the brass being a picture of judgment. But more than that, I want us to think about this. I want to read you a description of the victorious Christ found in Revelation 1. Now, we're going to piece a couple of things together here, but I think you'll see where we're coming from in this and how we can say it was the death of the old enemy. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now here, see this, verse 15. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. 
I want you to see again the feet of the Lord Jesus in this presentation in Revelation 1 were of fine brass. Now again, the word brazen means to be made out of brass. Let's just remember that. Okay, So his feet were made of brass in this image. Now I want you to consider then Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where there is the initial pronouncement of judgment upon the serpent by God for what he did to deceive our first parents. Genesis 3:15 and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel so here's the point the feet of fine brass crushes the head of the serpent that is the criminal of the curse here you have brass being a representation of the judgment of that one that was initially cursed by God in Genesis chapter 3. And it had to do with the feet of Christ crushing his head, though he bit Christ as it were, causing him to know the need for physical death on our behalf. So you have this imagery suggested. Though the serpent is not representing Satan. He represents the defeat of Satan. The crushing of Satan. The absolute death of Satan. Again, I I want want it to be so clear. The serpent on the pole is not Satan, but in the elements at hand, there is certainly presented his utter defeat by one who is lifted up. So, How can we take this as an encouragement to us? Well, simply this. There is no need for us now to fear our old enemy. There is no need to fear the wiles of the devil. He is completely dead as far as his ability to bring death to the believer. As Martin Luther said, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little world word will fell him. Our old enemy is defeated and he is put to death by what the Lord Jesus does at Calvary. But more than this, more than just saying it is the devil that is put to death, we must also understand that the curse that came with his deceit is broken. No more does the mandate that the soul that sins shall die ring over all mankind. Now, that certainly is the truth. The soul that sinneth it shall die for the man who refuses to look to the Lord Jesus. That does not change. But overall, for all men everywhere, it is no longer the death knell. But for those who do look, There is now no more curse. There is no more curse. That enemy has been put to death. 
Galatians 3 and 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. You see in this imagery the death of the old enemy. Nicodemus, how are you going to be saved? You have to be saved by the death of that which is against you in the first place. Secondly, I will point this out. Not only was the old enemy put to death, but sin was put to death. My question at this point is this. What can be seen hanging there and before the eyes of Israel is the end of the poison of the serpent that filled the veins of the bitten. That was over. When they looked... Now, I don't know how the Lord did this, whether somehow the poison that was in them dissipated, whether the poison that was in them stopped working. Um, what, how did the Lord relieve the poison that was in them from the serpent's bite? I don't know that answer. What I know, though, is that all the effects, the power of it was completely gone. Here I say, when we look at that imagery, and what the Lord Jesus is teaching, is that here is sin's end. It's sin's end because the Lord Jesus took all of that venom, if you will, that poisonous, destructive power. He took it to himself. As he is represented as that one who is there in the brazen serpent is a picture of the Lord taking our venom that is in us, out from us, the presence and penalty of sin, and taking it to himself. Second Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My point to you is this. When the Lord Jesus suffered for us on Calvary, it was not just general misery and sinfulness. I underscore that. It was not sinfulness that the Lord Jesus died to remove. He came to remove actual sin. Just as these people could not live with the poison in them anymore, so you and I cannot live with actual sin on our account. When the Lord Jesus paid the price at Calvary's cross, He removed actual sin. Sins remembered of God. Sins numbered of God. Now, the torment of the venom of sin brings man to a horrible end. He may not feel the venoms working in him at first, but after a while, it works to his demise. You know, men playing and being bitten by sin sometimes don't feel the effect of it right away. In fact, it's pleasurable to him for a season. But afterwards it works death. Oh, understand this. 
Israel knew by seeing that brazen serpent that it was for sin that the serpents were among them. Their suffering was their own doing. Their death was justified. They knew that. But they also saw now this one before their eyes as one that is a substitute. And I say, here's the matter of substitution clearly seen. This whole imagery of Christ being lifted up, being made sin, being made the curse, as a substitute for those who were let go from the malady of their sin, teaches substitution clearly. And I said, here ends the thoughts of that Christ was a selfless martyr only. The modernists would just say that Jesus was a martyr. He died for his principles. He died to reinforce his teaching or whatever else. It is completely nonsensical when you put it in the light of what the Lord Jesus is talking about here. This picture speaks of one suffering the very ill, the very venom that was causing the people to perish. Now, in this point, a question came up in one of the books that I was reading. Why not put a real snake up there? Why have the brazen serpent? Why not just take a real one and put it up there? Well, A.W. Pink makes the statement. He says, a real serpent would have been a picture of the sinner nailed to the cross. Not a substitute. And no sinner nailed to a cross can put away his own sin. No man can put away his own sin. Now that's a, that is a tenet of Judaism. I heard, uh, I was speaking with a man once. And he was trying to debate with me about the nature of Christ's substitutionary work. And he said, we don't believe that. We believe that every man by his own physical death, pays the price of his own sin. can't do it. You can't do it because you are not at all perfect. There's nothing that you have that's of worth that would put away sin. But here you see the image. Christ took our sin. Or as Romans 3 says, He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was made like that which was cursed. But he was different. He was a substitute. And it's interesting to note that everyone that looked lived. It didn't matter how deeply the bite had gone or how many times the snake had struck. If a man looked, he was completely saved from death. Why? Because the matter was solved with God. By faith he was healed. So I say the old enemy was put to death and sin was put to death. That is the imagery here. But also you see this, that death itself was put to death. The Bible says that because of the bite of the serpent, many had already died. 
The idea of that statement was not that some died and some survived. Please understand that. It does not mean that the serpents bit some and some recovered on their own and some others just succumbed to it. Sort of like what we're going through now. Some people will get the virus and some people won't. And some people will die and some people won't. No, this was a situation. The the situation of the moment was that all, all that were bitten were on their way to death. There was no exception. Now, my mind being what it is, thinking of that, I, I wanted to think, well, what kind of snake would it have been that everybody that it bites would have perished? And I started thinking, well, you know, and this is just me, you know, it's possible that a man could be bitten by a cobra and he might, I mean, it's most likely that he's going to die, but it might not be that every single person that's bitten by a cobra would die. And I said, well, how about an adder? Now, those are pretty vicious things. And I thought about the Australian taipan and uh, some of these other snakes, the black mamba, which was probably in this area. If, if they, you know, um, But you know, there's not one instance where you'd say, it is 100% certain that they are going to die from that snake bite. So I said, well, what could it have been? And then my mind said, you know, A, you don't know, and B, it doesn't matter. What is true is that these snakes were appointed of God for the purpose. These were the chosen judgments by God. That's why they all perished. And likewise, we have to understand that all that sin, all that sin, without exception, face everlasting punishment and death. It doesn't come with the same speed to all, but it comes. Or as 1 Corinthians 15 says, for as in Adam all die, this is an unalterable situation. Nothing can change it. Sin brings death in every case. So we ask, what has to happen? Well, the whole of the matter has to be removed. Sin has to be removed. The penalty has to be paid. Life has to be given. given. That is the picture here. By the substitution of the one lifted up, sin was killed. The penalty of death was known and life was given to the one that looked. But, but, if he was bitten, maybe it was possible that death could come back. No. Death was put to death. Its power and sting are gone. See the analogy. 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. It's gone now, so that which produces death is gone. There is no victory for death. Death is now put to death. Well, but what about the one who's too weak to crawl where the brazen serpent was to be seen? Maybe he was... He was real close to dying. Maybe it was just a matter of a minute before he would die. What about that man? Maybe he didn't have as much hope as a man who was just bitten three seconds ago. Pink makes a statement. He says, that's why it was lifted up. 
That's why the brazen serpent was put up so that all could see. It was able to be viewed by the weakest and the nearest to death. But what if the snake bit again? Well, one of two things. Either when a man was bitten and he looked and saw the brazen serpent, God purposed that that man would not be bitten again. Or if they did bite, there would be no, no effect, like when Paul was bitten by the serpent in Acts. And he shook off the serpent and felt no harm. In any case, that brazen serpent lifted up, cured the situation. And you and I might say, you know, no matter what sin does to us now, it cannot kill us anymore. If God wants to sanctify us and bring us victory by his grace so that the power of sin is removed and we don't have to struggle with some or other thing that we did before, that that could be a, 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 a way. And God does do that. Or if we do fall, we shall not be utterly cast down. We will rise again. That is true as well. But the point that's to be made here, the point is that the Lord Jesus is making again to this inquirer is that death and the power of death were dead. Two other things I say was put to death. First of these two, which is my fourth point overall, ignorance was put to death. You know, there was not a man or a woman that looked to the brazen serpent that did not know the reason why they needed to do so. Everybody in that time, at that moment, now understood why they had to look to the brazen serpent. They felt the pain. They saw the marks of the bite. They knew the moment of the strike. It was all very plain. And they were dying. Again, my mind gets some strange questions that pass through it every once in a while. I, I wonder to myself, I wonder if when a man looked at the brazen serpent, if somehow he saw his own reflection in the face of the serpent there, that brazen serpent. I said, well, I know. I doubt it entirely. But the matter that each knew it was for his sin that God told Moses to put up that pole. Everybody at that point knew it was because of their sin. In fact, you read it there in Numbers. They come to Moses and say, We have sinned against God. We have sinned against you. We know the reason for all of this. So my point is simply this, that there is no man that is truly saved that does not understand that Jesus died for his sin. The man who believes that Jesus is the Savior but never looks to Jesus as the payment for his sin is like a man who may have believed that he was bitten. He may believe that the brazen serpent was lifted up, but he never looks. And I'm afraid that there are many, many just like that. They believe that Jesus is the Savior. They believe that this is the Word of God. They believe that there is sin. They believe that sin has to be taken away. They believe all these things. They are confessional. 
but they never have come to Christ. They've never looked to the Lord Jesus. They never for themselves have come and seen him as that one who is the answer for their personal, particular sin. Now, even though the brazen serpent was lifted up, if a man did not look, would he be healed? The modernists today would say, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because God is benevolent, God is love, Christ did this work. So it really, it's, you know, it doesn't matter so much if a man looks by faith and puts his faith only in the finished work of Christ. What happens to the man here if he does not look? Well, you know the answer. We must come in faith seeing our sin seeing our in utter inability to cure ourselves and believing that Jesus is able to save each of us particularly. We must look to Jesus. If we don't bring ourselves to Jesus and look to him as our remedy for sin, there is no faith. It is a sin. It is agreement. It may even be confession and profession, but it's not faith. I read one man last night who was absolutely, I, in my mind, I go, boy, you are really, really taken with it. He was going on with the idea over and over and over. He was talking about men who come to the place of believing that they're saved. Being right and proper Christians in their mind. Doing all the things that they're supposed to, the marks of the man who is well-churched and well-taught and all the things, but has never, ever known the point in which the Holy Ghost spoke to his heart, broke his heart, showed him his sin, and then he reached out by faith to the Lord Jesus to save his soul. And this man was saying, I think our churches are filled with people just like that. People who are perishing and they don't even know it. Well, the last thing I would point out to you is this. The fifth thing, I see that hopelessness was put to death. Before the brazen serpent was lifted up, what hope did a bitten man have of survival? Well, the answer, none. But, but he could have reformed and started doing good. Eh, he was bitten. But he could have started partaking of the rituals and ceremonies of religion. But he was bitten. We must understand again, there is no other way to be saved. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. But when did everything change? When did hope actually arrive and become real? 
Well, the answer is when there was the lifting up of the brazen serpent. Here is hope for every sinner who will look to Jesus. It is not a hopeless situation. Sin no more is that which brings to us no hope. Because Jesus died for sinners, we find there is hope for our souls. The Lord Jesus used this illustration of which we considered this morning to instruct Nicodemus that the only way in which a man is saved from sin is to look to him. There is no other way, but also there is no matter that could be simpler. Trust in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Esteem his being made your substitute. When a man does this, like having the venom of the serpent made powerless, that man is made a new creature. He is born again. He is made to be different than he was. The old things, the death things are passed away. All things, the life things are now new. It all comes by looking to Jesus. And the man that does look has life where there was death. Again, this is the very testimony of Mr. Spurgeon. He said, I didn't understand. There was no moving in my heart. I was under the burden of sin. I was a miserable creature. Till I heard that from Isaiah's prophecy. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. And of course, Spurgeon's comment was, I looked, and the first, for the first time I saw, and I looked, and looked, and could have looked away my heart. That is the nature of saving faith. That it is trusting in Jesus. It is coming to Jesus. It is not believing right things, even though they may have a label over them reformed. It is coming to Christ, even though you may be able to sign a confession. It is in truth coming and looking to that one that heals. Well, may the Lord allow us to know, each of us, the truth of this, even this day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we pray that you'll bless the word of God. We pray that you will use this picture to help us to see, indeed, where we are, that ignorance would be, in fact, put to death within us, that we would see where we are with God but also that we would see that there's hope in the Lord Jesus. That all these things that are against us, whether it is sin or death or the devil, these are all defeated, these are all put to death. And now we may have life everlasting, life eternal. We pray that you will now use this word 
for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Dismiss us with thy blessing, we pray. Go with us through the remainder of this day, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.